I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Tiger Woods is in it, but can he win it? Tiger tees off at the Valspar Championship today at 1246 with Jordan Spieth and Henrik Stenson. What a field it's going to be out there. I got to talk to the man who has covered Tiger's entire career, my former colleague at the St. Petersburg Times and ESPN senior golf writer Bob Herrig is going to join me to talk about where Tiger's game is, his chances this week, and whether we'll ever see the likes of a Tiger Woods again on tour. And the Rays, they're so new school, they're going old school. Get this, with a four-man pitching rotation and maybe a bullpen day. I'm going to have Kevin Cash explain that one because it's too confusing for me. And Michael Bennett was traded to the Philadelphia Eagles from Seattle for a fifth-round pick and a wide receiver, Marcus Johnson. Oh, my goodness. What is Jason like? What are you doing? Well, that's the course on social media anyway. We'll talk you off the ledge about that soon. All that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Versnick. And, uh, boy, Steve, I was out at the Valspar today for a little while. Tiger Woods played uh, essentially in a pro-am with uh, uh, three other amateurs, and he played 18 today. The place out – I mean, the whole tournament is is buzzing as a result of Tiger being there. But not just that, but what a field they have. Um, people, you know, are kind of forgetting the fact that he's actually teeing off with Jordan Spieth, who talked about Tiger and the impact he had on his career when he was growing up. Um, Rory McIlroy, I get out of the car and drive up into the Valspar sort of media area, get out of the car, there's Rory McIlroy. I mean, you know, think – you you see guys standing around that are Hall of Fame golfers, and you're going, "Wow, what am I at a? And am I at a major tournament?" And then you know we they haven't even um, begun to talk about some of the other guys in the field. It's it's a lot of fun this weekend out there at the Valspar, and I'm looking forward to seeing Tiger play and my conversation with uh, Bob Herrig, who has a pretty good handle on just where his game is right now. Well, starting before seven o'clock today, I started seeing all the videos of Tiger on the course for the pro am, of course. Uh, I think he teed mm-hmm. off at 6.50 or right around there this morning. And, yeah, very early, yep. Um, Tom Jones was there. Yes, he was. <laughs> yes, I was texting him last or the night before th- during the Lightning <laughs> game going, how's come you're not out for the big interstate rivalry here? <laughs> he said, Tiger tees off before 7. So. Yeah, I was like radio. It was like, well, I, so I told him, I said, it's like you're doing radio. He goes, well, not quite like I'm doing radio because <laughs> that was 3.45 in the morning or 4 o'clock we would get up. <clears throat> but yeah, it was early, and uh, and Tiger, you know, was done with his round. I think by eleven thirty or twelve. And at one point, they had I was talking to Rick Odioso, the tournament director out there, one one of the people that helps the tournament director, and I guess he's in charge of the media. And he said they had uh, it was back to back to back three press conferences, maybe not in this order, but it was Tiger Woods, Jordan Spieth, and Roy McIlroy. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> that's not that's like a major man. It's not bad. That's well, you know what's cool about it out there is that. Um, and I think what players love about it, and McElroy went on Twitter and was raving about this course because he's never played before uh, at the uh, Valspar. And so, you know, he, he loved the course. And this is sort of the Florida swing of the tour. And, you know, whether it's the Honda, the places they play, it's basically tons of water and a beach. 
You know what I mean? A lot of sand, a lot of water, and flat. Just everything's flat. Because, well, you're in Florida. I mean, I've just described the entire state. But when you go out to Palm Harbor and you go out there to Innisbrook, you could be in Carolina or Georgia. I mean, it, 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 there's hills, there's undulated greens, uh, there's pine trees everywhere. I mean, it really is, and I think that's, you know, and, and it's a, you know, it's a ball striker's course to begin with. Um, but it doesn't punish you if you hit the ball a long way, but it's just, you know, the rough is, is it, it's a difficult course. But the players, the more guys that come in here and get to play this, and it's always been the schedule never really worked out for everybody, um, but they really rave about it out there. They really, and it's beautiful. I mean, of course, it looks terrific. So. A lot of guys say it's a great warm up for the Masters because it is different than the rest of the Florida courses and during this right. time of year in swing, uh, with right. the, you know the Masters being a month away or so. Right, it's as similar as you're going to get in Florida to 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 a place like Augusta, which has and Augusta is a unique cathedral in and of itself. But you're still, you know, like I said, you have you have some hills, you have some. Some some tough you know uh, undulate you know the greens uh, you have uh, some some fairly difficult rough some narrow fairways and you know it again it it rewards good ball striking and that's sort of what Augusta does Augusta is very long um, once they tiger proofed it but it's still um, it's still as close to that as you mentioned that you're going to ever see in the state of Florida so we'll talk uh, to Bob Herrig who has covered the PGA for years and years since leaving the St Petersburg time does about twenty tournaments a year which means he's on the road for over 100-and-something days. And uh, not bad work, though, when you're going to Pebble Beach one week, right? And then, you know, Augusta. I, I think I could swing that if I had to. <laughs> it's still it's still a job. It's still a job. So Bob uh, Bob sat down, and he's got great, great insights because he has covered Tiger Woods from the beginning. And, uh, in fact, when I turned on the Golf Channel this morning, because I was just you know, sitting here doing some stuff, um, the uh, uh, Golf Channel had a you know, picture of Tiger uh, walking, he played nine uh, yesterday, and he's walking down the middle of the fairway during his round. And who's sitting there, standing next to him, talking to him the whole time? Bob Herrick, senior golf writer, ESPN, my buddy. So, you want to look forward to that interview. Um, I mentioned that uh, before we get started. Let's 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 kind of start with the Rays here, if you will. And this this sort of like one of those things that come out of left field. That you talk to the manager Kevin Cash every day. And I don't think this was necessarily uh, a news dump. I don't think it was planned necessarily. But, you know, some days the leads are written for you. And that's what happened with Kevin Cash today when he was going through his normal, I guess, media session that he has every afternoon with the beat writers and whatnot. He announces... Our plan, we're not going to five. We're going to try to stay at four. We're going to have some bullpen days in there. We're going to try to do that for a long period of time. We're going to learn a lot in the first six weeks. No, but I meant when you do go to five. Right, we're going to schedule in a bullpen day as our fifth starter. Okay, that's kind of the hope. So maybe uh, even going past those first six past, weeks, you're yeah. saying? Yeah, yeah. You might stay with four all the way along. Yeah. Is that a, kind of a change in the original plan then? No, we just haven't said it till today. <laughs> <laughs> no, he means like a four-man rotation, which is which is really old school when you think about it. So I guess they, they feel like they have Jim Palmer, Dave McNally, Mike Quayer, and Pat Dobson, who all won 20 games for the Orioles back in the 70s because they're just going to throw these four guys out over and over again. But in actuality, when they get to that fifth day or, you know, or they don't have a day off, they are going to pitch someone other than these four starters, but it's going to be Johnny Holstaff. They're going to go to the bullpen now and have what they call a bullpen day. So if you're confused, I was confused a little bit. 
Let's let Kevin Cash tell you what's the thinking behind this. I think it goes back over to the, um, you know, the different looks to the lineups. And if we've got a, uh, a core group of guys that are available to give three, four inning outings, then, you know, we're going to shorten their looks for the opposition and bring another guy in. So I think that's the hope. But like I said, we're going to try to take the first six weeks and find out a little bit about that. That's very interesting. Um, And, and, you know, they haven't really spoken much to this. There was some thought anyway that maybe, you know, just for all starters that they were going to try to limit them to maybe twice around the lineup and that third time maybe guys wouldn't go more than four or five innings. But I guess now um, that remains to be seen just how they're going to work this bullpen, which I would think would have to have – Maybe an extra an extra body uh, down in the bullpen if you're just going to go with the four starters and then sort of mix and match. You on, may carry as many as eight relievers. I think you're right, which would leave you a pretty short bench for hitting. It would. Which the Rays love the versatility. Players like Daniel Robertson or um, Micah Johnson, who's in camp, that can play infield, outfield, and everywhere. Hmm. Well. Kevin Cash was asked just, you know, they do have some days off early in the year, but how long does he plan to go with this rotation? We don't judge anything over six weeks period, but we'll get a lot of information. It's something that we, we were confident if we, if we do it right, we have the depth that we can make it work. Um, and it does allow uh, consistent reps for our starters to stay online. And that's what guys want. You know, they want that routine every fourth or fifth day, whatever it's going to be that they're giving the baseball, um, you know, it, it might change if, say, Blake Snell can't get out of the second inning a few times. That would probably stress the bullpen. But like you said, they'll have some extra guys down there that'll that'll do some work. So uh, they must really like their pitchers. I suppose that this is based on the personnel that they have. It's a reflection of who we have available. We feel like we have a lot of good pitchers, and we want to get them all their reps and not, not limit somebody and not get use out of that guy that gets – kind of odd man out by not being in the rotation and you know give kevin cash this i think that uh, when they did make this plan at, at the beginning of uh well in the off season i'm sure and they got guys together in the spring they had to tell them about what their plans were when they reported this season so that's kind of the message that they were all given when they came in and we said by march 15th we'd have a better understanding of which way they'll go uh, whether they'll continue their their build up to get more innings or whether they'll stay at that two, three inning mark. And then we'll start seeing how they bounce back on shorter days. Interesting concept. I mean, the Rays are always pushing the envelope on this thing, you know, whether it was, you know, back in the day of uh, Joe Madden and those guys and the shifts and all the things you see now that have incorporated all throughout baseball. This is something they're, like I said, it's almost back to the future in some ways with the four man rotation. So what I'm not clear about that Kevin Cash addressed is just, how do they how do they handle the days off because they are going to have some days off in between those starts not to blow it out of proportion it's still it's going to be a rotation to where uh you're going to have the consistency with the starters but when we can plug in extra days with that bullpen to to add you know see where an off day is on the schedule and then plug in a bullpen day to get those guys another day um you know the one thing like with archer looking the last couple years arch takes the ball every fifth day and I think all of them would say that getting those extra days middle of the year is beneficial, especially for that August-September stretch. Yeah, and that's what enables him to, uh, to or especially in Archer's case, to pitch as many innings as he does. And that's the one thing you say about Arch is he's going to throw you well over 200 innings a year, which is great. Um, but it's still going to take some 
you know, real managing of the bullpen, no matter how many guys you have down there, because you don't know, you know, how many innings they, they have to build up and you still got to have enough guys for that fifth day. With the off days, you know, unless we run into some extra inning games and stuff like that, which are kind of out of the control, but if we're playing regular games, nine inning games, clean games, we should be okay. I mean, I don't think we're going into this situation saying we're looking to shuffle guys. We want to see, uh, we got to find out the next three now who bounces back, who can get on the mound, throw two or three innings, and who can bounce back three days later and pitch. Man, I, I wish them luck. I hope this works out for them, but um, this is something that not a lot of teams. Maybe it's a trend that they will start. Um, I get. I, I don't. I guess you'd have to have a lot of faith in your starters first of all, Steve, and then you must feel like you have a number of guys that can go more than one or two innings in the bullpen to do this, right? Well, yeah, you're going to have to build those guys. It almost kind of sounds like a spring training thing where okay sort of yeah you know, okay archer's going to pitch three innings today then this pitcher's going to pitch two and this pitcher's going to pitch two and you know where you're almost assigning it ahead of time of who's pitching instead of hey everyone in the bullpen's available today we'll mix and match matchups it almost sounds like you're, you and I, maybe i'm judging this wrong but it could almost be a okay these three pitchers are going today and tomorrow yeah, it'll no, be I, these other three because you i know, think that's if, what you guys are going two three innings they're not gonna be able to pitch back to back like a lot of one inning guys can yeah with the exception of your closer i think you're gonna have to earmark two or three guys that are gonna have to give you and you may have a two, lefty specialist in there to get an out or two and something like that but no i i, I it's it's fascinating to me and, and and you know the to to that point let's just take this the other way if you if you're doing that every fifth day you could almost kind of do that throughout the year. I think. I mean, like we talked about, there was a lot of talk about if they're going to let their starters go past two times through the through the lineup. And when you get to that that 18th, 19th hitter, well, if you've got guys stretched out in the bullpen that are used to coming in and giving you two or three or four innings here or there, you know, then if a starter, you know, is starting to wobble after four innings, I mean, you could do this. You could do this all through the season and still have your bullpen, you know, presumably ready for that fifth day or that odd day or, you know, if you get an extra day off or whatever. So I don't know. Um, I'll be anxious to see just how they work it, but they can always change it, too. I mean, you know, if it doesn't work out the first couple of months of the season, they can always go back to something else. But. Maybe this is the Rays getting behind Rob Manfred's efforts to speed up the game. They're going to end up with less <laughs> pitching changes because the pitchers are going to pitch longer. And so they're speeding oh, yeah. up the game, really. Well, are they though? If you're using like if you're saying going into the into that fifth start that you know you're going to use well, at least three the, or four pitchers. Maybe the bullpen day not, but if you're only going to use three or four pitchers every game. Yeah, at least I, they're starting the it's inning. It's more of a yeah. joke than anything, but it is sort of true cuz I think they'll be starting the inning rather than coming in to get one batter and then leaving, you know. So if they're stretching them out, they might have some bad news though for the Rays and their pitching staff. Man, what is going on over there? You hope this isn't a thing, but Jose De Leon now the latest pitching prospect to uh, need Tommy John surgery. We got Brent Honeywell. We got Jose De Leon. It's going to be a hell of a pitching staff in 2020 for somebody when those two guys come back off the uh, the DL. But Let's just hope these things don't news. come in threes. Well, they tend to, like, I hate to say it, but you start to see one staff get it. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost, I mean, it's not, it's not a disease. It's not like you can pass it to the next guy, but. You do feel kind of snake bit when your two biggest prospects that were going to be, you know, start the year probably in in Durham, they're both now not even lost for this season, but a good portion of next season. Uh, and you would imagine they wouldn't be, you know, back to themselves until you get to twenty twenty. Bad news for the Rays in that because we have, you know, 
you think they haven't gotten opening day yet. So typically these injuries happen during the course of a season. And when they come to you in spring training, uh, that doesn't leave you a lot of room for a lot of margin for error. So uh, that's a shame. Let me uh, let me move on here quickly and talk just for a second about why the Bucks should fire Jason Light. No, I'm kidding in a way. But if you listen to social media, goodness gracious, I mean – there are some Bucks fans out there. They they are got the pitchforks and they're headed to one buck place for this guy. Uh, why? So they didn't get Robert Quinn, who was traded from the Rams to the Miami Dolphins for a fourth rounder in exchange of six rounders. How could they let Robert Quinn go to another team? And now the Bucks didn't get Michael Bennett. Michael Bennett, a former Buck who, you know, somehow managed to be traded to the Philadelphia Eagles, the rich get richer of all teams, for a fifth rounder and a wide receiver that probably no one's heard of how did the bucks not get michael bennett and i'm telling you i i've been going back and forth on social media with some of these bucks fans it's the season's over i mean apparently there is no draft apparently free agency doesn't start march 14th and the i guess the failure to get one or both of these guys means that they're not trying that <laughs> they're just tanking so so, so every, every trade has to come to the Bucks, or the season's over Apparently, I mean, there's only been two guys. There's been two defensive ends traded since this this whole postseason began, and I guess the Bucks were supposed to get one or both. Even though, I mean, the way this works is for those of you who play fantasy football on the internet and want to be a GM, is that the team that owns the players' rights, they get to decide who they trade him to. It's this is not a unilateral like. It's it's not the price is right, you know. You highest bidder doesn't one. always win. No, it's in fact sometimes, and I'm just spitballing here because I don't know this to be true. But let's say you're Michael Bennett and you've I don't know been a really good player for the Seahawks, who've decided they're moving on from you, and they've they've rewarded you with with enormous contracts, and you've won a Super Bowl and been to two of them, and it comes time now where they tell you, Michael. We're going to move on from you, but you know what? Here's a couple of teams. I'm just, I'm just this. I don't know that this was the case. I have been told that the Bucks were interested, that they may have made a proposal. I don't know what that was, but every team gets to place a value on a player, and sometimes that value is what the other team was willing to part with them for, and sometimes it's not. But let's just assume, for the price of this conversation, that uh, for the purpose of this conversation, that that the Bucks gave exactly the same sort of deal to the Seahawks for Michael Bennett. Well, at some point, you know, they're going to go to Michael Bennett and say, look, we got, we're good with either, either place, Tampa Bay or the world champion Philadelphia Eagles. Well, where, who do you think he would want to go to? I mean, first of all, much like, I tell you, man, they fired me one time, you know what I mean? Same thing with Michael Bennett. They fired Michael Bennett. And, and so why would you assume that he, let me think, world champions, Everybody loves the coaching staff. Team is awesome. Team loves each other. You know what? I think I'll go to this 5-11 and 11 team that's just trying to find its way. Uh, no. And if you want to blame somebody for Michael Bennett not being in Tampa Bay, it's not Jason Light, folks. It's Mark Dominic. Okay? Because he was the one that let him walk out of here for one year $5 million and go to Seattle on a one-year deal so that Daquan Bowers would have – would run unopposed as a starting defensive end who did nothing and ended up being nothing. So, I mean, now that he, Michael Bennett's 32 years old, 
you know, he, he's turned into Lawrence Taylor around these parts. He had eight sacks last year. I'm not saying he's a bad player. Oh, and by the way, and I like Michael, and I've known him since he came to the league, um, and I don't have a problem with this, but. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You want to see him not stand for the national anthem? You okay with that? Because I get all kinds of emails and Twitters about people, you know, that can't happen anymore. You know, he, he's fairly outspoken. He wrote a book that you might not like the title of. I mean, there's a lot more to a player than just the player. So I'm just – it doesn't seem to matter who's available if the Bucks don't get him. And now the next guy is Richard Sherman. Seattle's going to trade Richard Sherman. And everybody's beating up Jason Light that if he doesn't get Richard Sherman because they have no corners. Well, they don't know if Brent Grimes is coming back. They've told him they want him. I know he's going to be 35. Everyone's given up on Vernon Hargraves because apparently after a year and a half, because he basically missed half the year last year with injuries, if you haven't made the all the Pro Bowl, you're you're just washed up. Um, but you know they don't like him anymore. So the narrative is there's no corners on the Bucks, and wouldn't Richard Sherman be better than what you have? Well, he would be, except that he's coming off an Achilles heel injury, and before he got the Achilles, the film isn't that good. He's he's starting to decline. Okay, so. Again, and I'm not saying they didn't make an offer. For all I know, they may have tried to get Richard Sherman at some level. I don't know. Um, but, you know, you you got to talk some of these folks off the ledge once in a while here. It's, you know, we're, we are still, we still don't know who's going to make it to free agency. I mean, until you get to March 14th, there's a lot of guys on rosters right now. Robert Ayers is on the Bucks roster. I don't know if he'll be here after March 14th or March 18th or whenever they owe him, you know, the, the money to – to extend his deal or whatever. I mean, the, the the purpose of this is until you know who's available, you can't begin to sign guys in that window, March 12th to March 14th. And then you have the draft, and you have another secondary round of free agency after that. I mean, there's a long way to go before we get to that, you know, September 10th uh, kickoff, wherever it's going to be. I'm just I'm just amazed at just how impatient these Bucks fans have been because two players have been traded. It's amazing to me. Anyway, that's my rant for the day on the Bucks, and I know like I'm sounding like I'm defending Jason Light, but I am a little bit here. There's just a long way to go before uh, before this roster is built. Before I get to my interview, let me tell you about a special offer from Audible.com. Sign up now and get a free 30-day trial membership. That's a $15 value, and as a listener to this show, you'll get a free audiobook. Just go to audibletrial.com. That's spelled A-U-D-I-B-L-E, trial.com slash sportsday. To take advantage of the deal, that's audibletrial.com slash sportsday for a free 30-day trial membership and a free audiobook. So, good friend of mine, for years and years, I actually sat next to him, jeez, uh, I don't know, uh, good while, at the Saint, what was then the St. Petersburg Times. Bob Herrick covered golf for us, has been around the world a million times, and now he is a senior writer for ESPN. And as I mentioned earlier, what's cool about Bob is that, you know, 
Tiger Woods, of course, is teeing off at Valspar. That'll happen today at 1246 this afternoon. And he has seen all of Tiger's through good, bad, and and, and good and bad again. And has some real insights, not just uh, about his career, but also about the man and sort of what he's had to deal with physically. I don't think people realize um, how bad he he actually was suffering uh, in trying to come back the first couple times until he finally had back fusion surgery, like which is a major, major surgery. I mean, this is one of those deals where you don't – I don't think he got out of bed for a couple months. I mean, he was very immobilized. And frankly, you know, about a year ago, I mean, he was telling people he didn't know if he would ever play golf again and was serious. He didn't know. And now he's out there walking, uh, you know, the course. He's he's played back-to-back tournaments, but not a lot of tournaments in the last three or four years. I mean, it's just not much. I mean, the about what a, a normal PGA player would play in one season, that's what Tigers had. So he's still in the very early stages of his comeback, and yet – you know, he showed some real promise uh, in the tournaments that he's played already this year. And with the Masters coming up, you know, if he's able to have a good showing this weekend and there's a couple more tournaments before the Masters, I'm telling you, a lot of people will think that he has a good chance up there at Augusta, which has always been a place that he's performed very well. So I had a chance to sit down with Bob Herrick to pick his, his brain a little bit and get his insights, and here's what he had to say. I asked you earlier, is this a good or a bad thing that you're covering a tournament in your hometown at this point? It's a good thing because I am at home, but it's it's a bad thing in a nice way because Tiger's here. I mean, it would it'd be a lot easier if Tiger weren't here, truthfully. Sure, from a working just, standpoint. Yeah, it ratchets things up yeah. immensely when he's around, and yeah. so much of our focus is him anyway. Uh, but it's great for the tournament, obviously, and, uh, yeah, it makes, it makes it for a more hectic week because there's so much interest in what he does no matter what. Well, and... and- you know, obviously, having done this tournament as many times as you had, I was talking to Rick Odioso, who helps run it. And you know, at one point they had Tiger, Rory, and um, Jordan Spieth back to back to back. So that that says something about what this field is. There's a buzz this week yeah, about this tournament. Exactly. I mean, and you've also got uh, uh, Sergio Garcia, who won the Masters last year. You've got two of the two of the four major winners from last year with Jordan Spieth. Uh, Adam Scott is here. He's a big name in the game. Uh, Henrik Stenson, of course. I mean, yeah. There's, there's really, there's. I think they have like uh, 15 of the top 30. Most tournaments would kill for that. So um, you know, because there's so many choices for these guys. They can't all play everywhere. Some of them played in Mexico last week. Some of them are playing in Orlando next week. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been really nice. And I mean, I thought I've always thought this tournament has done very, very well. But when you don't get Tiger and you don't get Phil. There's this perception that it's not as good, but yet, really, they've done very well over the years to 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 get a good field, and now that this is just going to help enhance it. More people see the golf course. Uh, Rory's talked very nicely about the course. He's played it twice. I mm-hmm. think they're starting to realize what a kind of a hidden gem it is. It's it's one of the best in Florida, uh, but their place on the schedule at times has hurt them, and now now this year they're benefiting. And, you know, a lot of guys, and Speed talked about this, that everything up to this point is a preparation for the Masters. This course would seem to, like, kind of help you with that because it's a ball strikers course, right? Exactly. Um, I mean, there's there's nothing that really can approximate or assimilate Augusta sure. National, but at least this one isn't the typical flat palm tree Florida golf course, which is in no way helps you for Augusta. Right. 
it, it has some rolling hills. It looks like North Carolina. It's got pine, pine trees. trees. Um, and, you know, it has some undulation, which obviously Augusta has a lot of. So there's side hill lies, downhill lies, walking up and down hills. All of that helps. And that's why I always thought it was good for Tiger. Um, because it's not a, and it's also not a course that favors a long hitter or a short hitter. It's kind of a mixture. I think that's the sign of a good course. When it, there's courses on tour you know you have to hit it long to succeed there. There's some where hitting it long doesn't help you at all. Mm-hmm. Here it's a mixture, and I think that's good. That's good for him. Obviously, more rounds is good for him at this point. Where is he right now? Because I think the excitement in part is not just that he's here, but we've watched him play the last couple of weeks before he took a week or so off, and he, you know, he played really good and, right. and at the Honda. And so, is there a sense that th- that the injuries are starting to be behind him now? And I think that is always in the back of everybody's mind, and they 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 are sort of like hopeful that that does not become an issue again. But um, he's in truth ahead, I think of where most people thought he would be at this point. I mean, in, it, he, he was an assistant captain at the President's Cup at the end of September, and he told everybody there, I don't know if I'll ever play again. He did not know, and that's not that long ago. Mm-hmm. He, had been, he had not been clear to start hitting full shots yet. He was a few weeks away from that. He was going to start doing that in October. Um, and... And then once he did, it's gone really fast. I mean, you know, he's 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 in he's in better physical condition than he's been in five years. He's more or less admitted that the first three back surgeries that he had didn't work. Mm-hmm. They they were more of a band aid as opposed to this the spinal last fusion surgery which he's had, which is very serious. And I believe there must have been some concerns that if that doesn't work, then there's you've got nothing which is why he did the other ones. But the other ones clearly did not alleviate him of, uh, of the pain that he had been in, the nerve pain. Now that seems to be gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he, he doesn't look like a guy who's struggling to walk around. We saw that a lot before. So, um, you know, and he's hitting it far. He's hitting it, you know, he's getting it out there with the young guys. You mentioned you saw him hit a drive on, what, 18? And he just blasted or 17 last It week? was actually nine on, oh, nine. on, uh, on Tuesday mm-hmm. that, you know, was halfway up the hill, which nobody hits it there, you know. I mean, it's it, typically they don't want to take on those bunkers on that hole, and he blasted it up there. Now it was the conditions were just sure. right for that. but. The point is, is that he can do it, mm-hmm. you know, that he's able to unleash these 320, 30, 40-yard drives. I mean, uh, I think most of us thought he was going to have to play, you know, 20, 30 yards behind the longest hitters. Sure. And could make do. He could, he could be very effective doing that. But as of right now, he's not giving up that much to them, which is a great sign because th- those other parts of his game were always his strength. He seems to be being smart, a little bit smart about it in that you know he played two tournaments and then he took an assessment about where he was. It wasn't sure that he would play this week, but right. I guess he felt like he felt you know he responded to those two weeks back to back. Right. I mean, one thing in a weird way that helped this tournament is that he missed the cut at the Genesis Open in Riv- at Riviera. Only played two rounds there. Then he played the Honda. Felt good about the way he played. And I think he realized, you know, I'm not going to be able to be competitive having one tournament in five weeks leading up to the Masters. Mm-hmm. And as crazy as it sounds to think that that he would be competitive at the Masters, it might be the one place early on where he has the best chance because he knows it so well. The field is smaller. There's more room off the tee. Um, he's got so much course knowledge. 
but you're not going to give yourself a chance if you haven't competed. And he has said many times, I can't replicate at home what it is out here. Um, it's just not the same, the adrenaline. And I got to get used to this again. And I mean, if you think about it, I believe the number is um, this will be from the first time he had back surgery in 2014 to now. This will be his 24th tournament. So we're talking about in four years' time, only 24 tournaments? I mean, these guys play that many in a year, yeah. you know? And so that's what he's given up to them. He's given up a lot of, um, you know, they, they just have a lot of reps, and he doesn't. And then he need, and obviously a couple isn't going to bridge the gap, but everyone helps. How many of these guys never played with Tiger when he was Tiger? I mean, and, and listening to Jordan Spieth is like, Look, you know, by the time I played around with him, he was really hurting and struggling out there. And yet, they still it, yeah. does golf still get a little bit of a boost when he's around if he's playing think, well. I don't think there's any doubt. Uh, what's what's kind of neat to see with the young guys is they welcome him back. They are very excited to have him back. They, you know, Jordan Spieth was what nine or something when Tiger won the first Masters. Yeah. You know, Rory, these guys, they were young guys. They, they, he inspired them. They. They, um, they've sort of taken their cues, their fitness cues from him, and they love having him back. They want to see him in the mix, you know. And then, <clears throat> unlike the, the guys of Tiger's era who grew weary of talking about him all the time and, and having to always see his name up there and seeing a lot of their opportunities diminish because of him, as much as they appreciated him, they, I don't think, had the same awe that these guys do, and now they kind of want them back, you know. They and now they're also seeing it too. When they're getting paired with him, they're seeing what it's like, what he's gone through, what his peers went through. It's not that easy, you know. It's it's uh, it's a different animal playing around a golf with Tiger on tour. Yeah, the crowds are bigger. There's a lot of things that you have to have to kind of endure. Somebody asked me this the other day: Will we ever see a, a phenomenon or a talent like a Tiger Woods? Will we see somebody dominate golf the way Tiger has? I mean, just from a, a layman's and watching standpoint, there seems to be so many good golfers that can win any Sunday. I don't, I mean, and, and the motivation. I've heard Roy talk about that. You know, uh, he, at one point he said, I'm 25, I've won three or four majors, I'm in a Hall of Fame golf, and, and frankly, I find it hard to get motivated sometimes. Right. I mean, do you think we'll ever see somebody dominate in your lifetime or my lifetime the way, the way he, he did it in his day? I think it's going to be hard. And, I mean, that's not to take anything away from what he did or what anybody else did. I mean, you know, Tiger went up against Hall of Famers. Vijay Singh, Ernie Els, Phil Mickelson. That's right. Those guys are all in the Hall of Fame now. Those were his contemporaries. They were winning tournaments when he was, yeah. just not at the same rate. So there was plenty of good players. Um, the fields, it's one of the reasons I think he didn't win more. One of the reasons he didn't win more majors. He had some guys step up. Uh, came out of nowhere to beat them. And elevated their games sure. because of what the fitness and the things that right. he was doing, right? You know, and they maybe had their one or two weeks of glory and they had it at his expense because it is so deep and, the, and guys can do that. But there are a lot of great players today and that makes it hard. There, there's not enough of them to go around. You know, when you've got Jordan and, and Rory and Spieth and, uh, you know, now Justin Thomas. And, I mean, there's just so many guys who are who are really, really good. And um, and also, the motivation thing is a factor, mm -hmm. I think. Um, there's so many things that these guys... Tiger was incredible at dealing with, with the fame, with the fortune, um, not having that diminish his desire. 
Um, you know, these guys now, you know, they have a lot of opportunities thrown their way and it wears them out. You know, they get a chance to go play a tournament overseas for a lot of money. Nobody's going to care or remember that tournament, right, whether they win it or not. They went, they did it, and yet it takes its toll, you know. And I think you see that with guys already, a guy like Jason Day, who's a young guy and very, very good player who has struggled with motivation factors after he got to number one in the world. And he's a guy who's buddies with Tiger and idolizes him and all that. But, you know, it's hard to maintain it. That's, I think, what we don't appreciate with Tiger. He maintained that. That 10, 12-year stretch was unbelievable. So for you right now, who's playing the best golf? Who's the greatest golfer on the tour? Um, I know the I'm, rankings change all the time. Yeah, I mean, Justin Thomas would be right there. He's won twice this season mm-hmm. um, and, and just had a win two weeks ago, just lost in a playoff. Um, Dustin Johnson has been consistently the best over the past couple of years. Yeah. He's the guy who I think, when everything's working the best, can't be beat. He's just that good. He's so, you know, he's so got so much length off the tee, and he's, you know, he's won more tournaments than anybody the Tiger in the last ten years. Um, yeah, so th- those are the those are the two guys. But I mean, Speed can step up. Rory can get it back. Um, there's a very good chance that somebody we're not even talking about or thinking about will be a factor at the Masters in a month, just because that's the nature of the game. Sure. When on this, you've covered golf now uh, for a long time. What's it like being on the tour with these guys every week, riding, going, visiting? You've been around the world literally doing this. Um, what's, what's the job of a golf writer for ESPN? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, how the media has evolved. I mean, it used to be, we used to sit there and get to think about a story, right? <laughs> sit there and, yep. and as long as you One got, deadline. As long as you got it in by a reasonable time, maybe you had another sidebar or a notebook to do yeah now you, you feel like you're you are always on deadline and you're never done you know and and it's the same in golf you're you know it, it's it's uh you know tiger tees off at seven in the morning you feel like you better be watching him in case he you know slips on a banana peel and hurts himself yeah. you know and whereas before you could catch up you know the news cycle never ends and i think that that's the challenge it's been fun in that regard but, um, you know, golf is a 10-hour-a-day sport. There's a lot going on from dawn until dusk. It's a long dusk, time, yeah, so. four straight days. So lots going on uh, today, this week. Uh, in fact, uh, this afternoon, if you can't make it out to Valspar, you can maybe get to Orlando and see the AAC tournament, USF. They're men playing Memphis at 2 o'clock, and then you have the Lightning and the Rangers tonight at Amelie Arena as uh, the Lightning uh, try to play their seventh overtime game in a row. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen there. And then this weekend, the Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg, which is always bumped up against the Valspar tournament, but uh, plenty of uh, good seats to go around for both events. And uh, maybe you can make both events on the same weekend. So we'll have all that for you along with whatever raised news or pitching uh, rotation designs they come up with uh, after today. Whatever buck so, trades they don't make. And, yes, we'll have all the Bucks trades that they do not make, none of the ones they make because they're not going to make any for the whole season. Jeez, man, I'm just – got to get off social media. That's the whole key. Somebody asked me today what would have happened if some of the guys I worked with back in the day, like Tom McEwen and Hubert, had social media. Goodness. May they both rest in peace. But it would have been, it would have been on. Let me just tell you, they didn't take anything from anybody. God bless them. Anyway, our thanks to you for making this uh, hopefully a daily habit. We want your feedback, as always, and you can reach us uh, on Twitter, 
at Sports Day TB. That's at Sports Day TB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud or always my email rstroud at tampabay.com. We'd like for you to rate and review this podcast if you get the opportunity. Where can they do that, Steve? You can do it anywhere you get them. So whether it's iTunes or Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, the files are on SoundCloud. And, of course, you can always go to tampabay.com slash sports to get the latest episode. Yeah, lots going on in sports, and this is where you want to come, Sports Day Tampa Bay. For Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.